Let's turn our Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. And so this is not a message on fasting. Um, I, I was really praying a lot this week, and, and I, just, I just feel like I need to finish my thought from the last two weeks. So this is Passion for God, part three, okay? Passion for God, part three. I don't think there's going to be a part four, um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 12 to 13. Ephesians 6, 12 to 13, you can follow along the screen, it's here. And it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, And having done everything, to stand firm. We're also going to read what we read last week, 2 Corinthians 2.11. And Paul wrote, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, today. God, we thank you for our children. Lord, it's, it's such a blessing to see them together. God, to see them worshiping you, to see them watch us worship you. Lord, uh, these are seeds, God, that we're putting in their hearts, Lord, that's going to have an eternal harvest, Lord. And so we pray, God, for our kids that are upstairs, Lord, that you would bless them, God. And thank you every time we gather together as a family to worship. We don't take it for granted, Lord. God, we went through three years of COVID. We don't take it for granted. And so, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and just touch them, God. And touch us, Lord, as we come humbly before your word, Lord God. Lord, to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Um, we've been mentioning, uh, uh, this is from... Uh, New Year's Eve service uh, to uh, New Year's Day service last week and then this service. Uh, what God wants us to have is a passion for himself. We, we are so passionate about so many different things. Uh, and and th- there's nothing wrong with that. Right? I'm, I'm a passionate sports fan. I mean, Lakers, I know it's so sad these days. Uh, uh, the Dodgers right, got robbed last year. Uh, uh, I mean, there, there's, so, I'm so, there's so many things I'm passionate about, and that's good, healthy stuff. Some of you guys are passionate about running, right? Some of you guys are passionate about the Boy Scouts, right? Some of you guys are, are passionate about tennis. Uh, you know, some of you guys are passionate about fashion, you know, and, all, and those are all good things. But if you really think about it, the way that we were created, the very thing that we should be the most passionate about is the Lord Jesus Christ, He's, he has done so much for us. We were created. He said he had put eternity in our hearts. We were created to worship God and give him our everything, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Now, this is, what's our, this is the deep desire of our longing as, as followers of God. This is the deep desire of the Father. But we know the enemy does not like people being passionate for the Lord. The enemy does just actually hates when people are so totally given over to God. It's, it's like the worst thing that could ever happen. And so as we talked about last week, so he devises schemes and strategies to neutralize, to combat this passion for the Lord. Because you know what happens when you're passionate for God? It spills over onto other people. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's amazing the influence that you have as an individual. When, when you are so passionate about something, people also want to know what, it, what this thing is. And it leads into other things. It leads into this life with Christ. And so Paul tells us very early on, listen, our struggle, this life that we're living is not just flesh and blood. It's not just what you see with your eyes, your physical eyes. There's a spiritual element to this whole thing around us. And he, and he has strategies and plans. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 that we read, he says that, that the enemy has schemes. 
It's, 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 it's the, uh, the word schemes is this word no, noama. And it means it's a mental perception. It's a thought. It's an evil purpose or that which thinks the mind or thoughts or purposes. And so we, we see that, that his schemes or his strategies primarily play out in our minds. They, they, they probably play out here. Let me, let me read you another text, maybe make it a little more clear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5, Paul will continue uh, this thought, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, very similar to the Ephesians passage, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, it's not what we can see with our eyes, our physical eyes, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. He says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So think about what Paul says here in Corinthians. Now, Tell me what you think about. If I say toast, eggs, orange juice, coffee, bacon, what do you think about? Breakfast. I know. I'm sorry to bring up food during the fast, okay? It's my mistake. I, I just realized I should have picked something else. But it's amazing how my mind just, just goes to food. It's just this season of time. But that's what you think about. Toast, right? Orange juice, coffee, bacon. All the, the first thing you think about is, yeah, breakfast, of course. Well, what do you think about when we say the words like speculation, knowledge, thought? What's he talking about? He's talking about the mind. See, the spiritual warfare that really happens in our personal life is not so much happening. I mean, it is happening out there in the heavenly places. But in our life, the spiritual warfare, the battle that's raging is in our mind. Turn to your neighbor, say, hey, good looking, the battle is in your mind. Go ahead. The warfare is happening in this place. And the reality is the enemy, what he's doing right now, he's lulling us into a sleep. He's, 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 he's uh, 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 leading us into a thought process that is undermining this passion for God. All out. For the Lord, He devises processes, thought. He leads us in, in our mind and our thinking in this way, and this is why we need to, to combat it. What we need, and what you need, what I need, we need to do what we call a paradigm shift. We need to shift our thinking uh, in a certain way. We need to go, go take away from the old or worldly way of thinking. The what the Bible will t- simply just call the flesh. And we need to move away from that to a Christ-centered way, to a, 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 a Christ-focused, or, or really, simply said, just a biblical way of, of looking at things and thinking about things. Oliver Wendell Holmes, he said this, he says, The mind shaped by a new thought will, no lo- will never go back to the same shape. A mind shaped by a new thought will never go back to the same shape. That's why for all of us, it's so important to read the Bible. The Bible just reorients our thinking. It reorients our mind. It feeds us. Right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's something when we just devote ourselves into the word of God. Something in us, in our mind, our mindsets, we start changing it begins to move within our hearts. Things begin to happen within us. Right? That's why it's so important for us to get into that place. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from childhood, so that the mentor is talking to a spiritual son, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. These are the, the sacred writings are, are, for a few of us, in your lap or in your hands Others, it's on your phone, right? That's, don't, don't worry. In this modern age, that's acceptable at this stage. But, but I will say this. I don't know if you've seen the latest studies, uh, scientific studies, reading on your uh, phone or tablet, or even on a computer, is not as effective 
as reading this paper. Uh, I think it's just something quite significant in such a technological age that we live in. Right? Studies have shown that retaining information and all these things, it's much more powerful to have the printed word instead of you know, what's on the screen. But I, I'm not opposed to the screen at all, right? I mean, that's, that's all fine, uh, uh, but you, you just, I mean, just do whatever you want with that. And so it's something that's there. So it's, that's why it's important because it changes our thinking. It changes our mind. I'm reminded years ago we had this guest speaker at our retreat. And, and he came, and um, I, I, I forgot the guy's name, uh, um, but he came and he talked about, he used to, he used to uh, um, run a drug rehab center. And, and he had this one uh, young man that came into his center, and he, his brain was absolutely fried. I mean, just fried. This guy took drugs, took serious drugs. He couldn't think. He was almost comatose. I mean, this guy was fried. And, and so all he could do is just lie in bed. And so as a part of the rehab, he had other drug addicts that were kind of further along in the process. And they just basically just set up a, a system where these guys just read to him the scriptures. And so other drug addicts would just open the Bible and just take turns all the time just reading the scriptures to this guy over and over again. You know what happened? The guy got radically healed. This young man, because the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to separate the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And the spirit of God that's living was doing something so powerful in this young man. You know what happened? At the end of this thing, he got into Stanford University. I can't get into Stanford University. <laughs> Most of you guys can't get into Stanford University. You know what I mean? I mean, this guy is just crazy how the, the healing, and it was just simply, he just said, all we did is we just read the word to him. That's all we did around the clock. There was nothing else that they could do. There was no medicine. There, there, there's no counseling because his brain was totally fried from drug use. Can you imagine that? And just round the clock, reading of the word, changing his, I mean, in this way, fixing his brain. Isn't that crazy? You know, how this works, but that's what God does. And this is important for, that we understand this. And we need to do a paradigm shift. We need to recognize there are certain things. There's traps, if we can say. Uh, there, there are certain devices or strategies or thought processes. Or there's things, and they seem so innocuous on its own. They just seem so normal or even practical in some ways. But it's a trap that's set for us that primarily neutralizes our passion for God, neutralizes our witness to a lost world for the Lord. And, and, and so we, we want to talk about some of these things. And, and so, so we're going to continue on from last week a little bit. Some of these, some of these things are going to be so obvious to us, but yet I'm going to try to explain. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm basically today, my, my goal today is just this thought, that, that process that I went through this week is how would the enemy fool a church how would the enemy right we're, we're not ta- not talking to uh, worldly people i'm talking about a church church I'm, you're here you're church people some of you guys are not i hope you become a church people um well, that's, that's not the church person um uh you know down the road but 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 this how how would the enemy trick us or how would the enemy get in a, a, a doorway to us that neutralizes our effectiveness and our passion for the Lord. And, and so as I talk about this, like I said, it seems so simple and so common, but these are just little things that, that happens to us that leads us in this, in this way. Okay? Number one, what are these devices? Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. The, the, the worst part of it is we can't really tell when we have it. It's so deceptive, it is so subtle. You, you've probably heard this before. Pride is like bad breath. Everyone else knows you have it except for yourself. All right, that's generally how this works. Spiritual pride, this is how devious this works, that the enemy can go. You know, you can feel so good about your spiritual life and yet be so full of spiritual pride. We can, it, this, this, this spiritual pride can give you the illusion 
that you are close to God. Think about this. You can study your Bible in a mechanical way. You can pray in a mechanical way. You can quote the Bible, and you can hurt someone with your quote, and you feel really good about it. It's dangerous. And you could feel so spiritual. I know the Bible. But you totally devastated someone with that word. That spiritual pride, it's so subtle. I know this very well because I practiced this many, many times in my life. I remember early on when I, when, uh, when I got married and Lisa and I, we moved here to Hong Kong. And um, uh, I, uh, you know, we, we, I mean, we, 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 apparently I didn't know this, but we basically did the most stressful things that you could ever do uh, in your life. Uh, we got married, right, which, I mean, it's good stress, okay? Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a change. I mean, anything that's change, right, brings change, brings stress. So we got married. We moved to a foreign country. So we moved from, from the United States to Hong Kong. I mean, sh- shortly after we got married, uh, when we started a church, right? We started a church. The only other thing that we could have done that, that would really be more stressful is we could have had a kid. And thank goodness we waited three years, uh, you know, two and a half years or so to have a kid. And so it was very stressful. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I was, I, 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 I can, you know, I don't know if I'm a good husband now, but I really wasn't a good husband back then. And, and I was just so focused on the church and building up the church. And, you know, I didn't really pay attention too much with my wife. And so we would argue a lot. We'd fight a lot uh, during this time. And then, and, and this, is, this is totally... Right? I mean, you may totally lose respect for me. Um, but when we're, and so you guys know, I'm very competitive. I'm very competitive. I'm not as competitive as I used to be, but back then, even more so, right? We're talking 20 years ago, okay? Remember me 20 years ago? Some of you guys are around. Woo! So, <laughs> so, so it's hyper competitive. And then when we get in an argument, um, and I started losing the argument, you know what I do? Your loving pastor. I would quote scripture. <laughs> wow. So I'm serious. I would quote scripture. And I would use the scriptures. And I, I say this very ashamedly today. I would hurt my wife with the scripture. And I would leave that meeting feeling so good about my spirituality that I knew the Bible. Isn't that horrible? Let me think about it. Isn't that horrible? Right? And I'd feel good because I won the argument, um, but I really didn't win the argument. And so that's what, that's what spiritual pride does. We can be so prideful and yet at the same time feel so good about our relationship with God. Do you see how subtle that is? Do you see how you can get totally lost? You know, I mean, we can just get just, just totally off course. And, and it, it, it happens. It happens to us all the time. Think about this. We, we, you wake up in the morning. You do your quiet time. You come to morning prayer, uh, especially during the fast. And you pray. You take care of all of your God stuff at the beginning of the day. And then you go around the rest of your day in spiritual pride because of what you did. And you feel like you feel so close to God. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I finished my God business. Oh, I'm such a good Christian. I'm such a good Christian. And so then you go all the rest of your day and just so full of this arrogant pride uh, within us. And you say, you know, I must be so close to God. And yet you're so far away. You know how you can tell? Here's one of the telltale signs. If, if, if someone, uh, I mean, let me put it this way. When Jesus or the disciples, when they talk to the Pharisees about their pride and their self-righteousness, what happens to the Pharisees? They get totally offended. Let me give you a tip, okay? If someone talks to you, you know, it could be a pastor or a house church leader or usually the, who the person would be is your spouse, okay? <laughs> they're, they're the best people to recognize this. And if your spouse or someone talks to you about pride and self-righteousness and you get really offended by that, let me give you a hint. 
there's a clear sign that, that you are walking in pride and self-righteousness. Because the reality is you don't get offended by things that are not true. Do you know what I mean? It's just like someone says something, oh, okay, whatever, it's not true. Just, just move on. And, and, but there's something, when, when there's something that, that attacks us, it actually doesn't make us humble and say, really? Oh, man, okay, I better go pray about it. I better go seek the Lord. Or how? Instead, we just go, no, no, you are, not me. And as soon as we get into that place, we know you're dealing with spiritual pride and self-righteousness, right? I mean, and, and, this, is, and this is primarily many ways how it happens or spiritual pride, the roots of it. It happens when you judge people by their spirituality. In other words, how long they pray, how much they read, you know, how much they serve. It's, 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 a, it's a judgment game that begins to take place. And, and spiritual pride, this is how spiritual pride begins to take a toll and begins to happen and, and, and work in our lives. When we take, this is how it was, when we take the calling of God in our lives, and we elevate it for a standard for everybody else. In other words, hey, I pray in our day. You should pray in our day. I read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. You should read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. And if you don't do that, then there's something wrong with you. And then as soon as we get to that, we start puffing ourselves up. I'm more spiritual than you are. Because look at my spiritual activities that take place. It's, 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 it's subtle. It's dangerous that happens. It, you know, um, I had a, a pastor tell this story. And, and he, he, was, he, uh, he, was, he was a Southern Baptist growing up. And he was basically, he was taught to read the Bible one hour every day. So every day, he was just taught, a good Baptist reads one hour of the Bible every day. And his, his, his teacher taught, taught him, his disciple taught him, basically, you just read one book, right? You just focus on one book, like the book of Jeremiah. You read that for the whole month. And then the next month, you go to another book. You read the book of Isaiah, but you read one hour every single day, a book a month. And, it was, and at that time, he was leading a young life group, you know, the ministry Young Life. And in the girl, one of the girls came to, her, to him and just with tears and, and just says, you know, uh, Pastor, I, I, I can't read one hour a day. I, I just, in fact, I don't want to wake up in the morning because I'm going to have to read one hour a day. And it's making my life miserable. And, you know, and she's feeling all these different things. She says, I feel so guilty. You know, I, I, I hate, hate trying to even get up in the mornings knowing that I have to study one hour a day. And here was this chance for this minister, right, to, to this, young, this young pastor to, to bless and, and, and really speak life. And you know what he said to, said to her? He says, you ought to feel guilty. You can't even spend one hour a day with the Lord. This is what you do. You take your standard or the standard that God has given to you and you elevate it to sometimes a biblical command. And you judge everybody by that standard, that spiritual pride. It, it doesn't work that. You know, early on in ministry, people would ask me, uh, Pastor Sam, how many, you know, how many hours do you pray a day? Or, okay, let's be honest, how many minutes do you pray a day, right? You know, or how many chapters of the Bible do you read a day? And I used to answer. I was, I was just telling them, I was just, you know, share things. And I realized i got to stop doing that. I, I just have to stop because that's my race. That's not your race. You know what I mean? That's, it's like God didn't call the Apostle Paul the same time he called the Apostle John. God has his own timing. And, and so the reality is maybe for me in my life, God's standard is this. And, and so think about, you know what happens? If, if my standard is this, and then you realize, oh, I pray more than my pastor. You know, and you lift up that standard, then you get, you get prideful. You know, or if, if, if my standard is this, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's lower than your standard, and then the next, next thing you know, right, then, then I'm kind of like, I'm not doing you any favors in this way. And, and so it, it's, it's important for us to recognize you take your standard, you elevate it to a biblical command, you enforce it, and then you judge others when they don't measure up to that. That's spiritual pride, right? Hey. 
I foster kids. How come you don't foster kids? Hey, I'm on SP Kids. How come you're not doing that? In fact, you have three kids, man. You should be doing something. You know, well, that's true. You should be doing something, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest with that. But you guys know what I'm saying. We, we, we take our calling and we elevate it to a standard. And then we judge everybody else that doesn't live up to that. That's spiritual pride. It's, it's, it, it, it comes in and infiltrates into the church. That's how the enemy neutralizes a church body that wants to be passionate for the Lord. It's a subtle thing that begins to take place. Right? Listen, God has his own timetable. You have your race. I have my race. Isn't it great? I'm not going to be judged by your standard, right? And you're not going to be judged by my standard. I'm going to be judged by my own standard. That's good news. You know what I mean? I mean, that's really good news. And so we need to keep aware of that. The second thing that would seem so obvious, what, what, what really neutralizes our passion is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I mean, this, one of the, the best studies on hypocrisy is out of the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 23, this is verse 2 and 3. Matthew 23, 2 and 3, he says, and he says, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all, they, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. So he's making this indictment upon the religious leaders of his time. In other words, he's saying they're a bunch of hypocrites, man. You know, Isaiah 29, 13 is actually what Jesus will quote in another passage. Isaiah 29, 13, he says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words, they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. Brothers and sisters, don't ever get fooled by the externals. Don't ever get fooled by the externals. Isn't it amazing that God, especially Jesus, doesn't get fooled by the externals? You know, Isaiah, speaking prophecy, prophesying about the Messiah, he says he, right, the, the Messiah, he will not judge with his eyes see or ears hear, but he will judge with the spirit of righteousness. The Bible tells us man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the externals. But God looks at the heart. This is what happens in our lives. You know, we can be doing the externals, and the reality is our hearts can be a million, million miles away. Right? Brothers and sisters, the heart is the key to the spiritual life. The heart is the key to the spiritual life. I'll tell you how hypocrisy happens. This is how it works. You judge others by what they do, but you judge yourself by your intentions. You judge others by their actions. You judge yourself by your intentions. In other words, you know, maybe you're sitting with a friend and you're talking. You're like, oh, my goodness. Did you see what she did? Oh, my gosh, that is so wrong. Did you see what she did? And then your friend goes, you did that last week. I saw you do that last week. And you say, no, 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 no. I know I did that. That's not what I intended to do. See, I, what I intended was da, 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 da. Yeah, I did it, but, but my intention was not that in that way. You see that? You judge others by their actions. You judge yourself by your intentions. You get yourself basically off the hook in that way. And so we have to be, we have to be very, very careful about this. We want to be excused on the basis of our intentions, but we're not willing to extend grace to those based on their intentions, but based on their deeds flip side of that, we have to be very, very careful about judgment. There's a lot of judgment going on around the world. There's a lot of labeling and all these things that are happening. And the reality is what we're doing is we're judging people's intentions. 
We're looking at an action, and we can't just see that as face value and make judgments. Oh, oh, he meant this about that, or this is why he said this, or this is why he did this. That's very, very dangerous. It's very dangerous, and we have to be very, very aware. So we want to be excused on the basis of our intentions, but we're not willing to extend grace to those based on their intentions, but based on their deeds. It's hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. See the sad part of hypocrisy? You know what happens? We no longer become a voice. We no longer become a voice. We become an echo in this way. This is how it works for Christians. We hear something good. We spout it out everywhere. But we don't have an ounce of it in our heart. And you're no longer a voice. You're just an echo. It doesn't make an impact in people's lives. God wants us to be a voice. God wants us to have impact. But instead, we just echo. We echo something someone else said, but we don't portray it. We don't have it in our heart. Hypocrisy. The third one, and it all comes, kind of runs alongside, and they're kind of a bit interchangeable. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Um, uh, you know, part of the reason why this message I, I, I was listening to something, and one of the, there was like a, a forum of leaders, and they were just they were talking about you know self righteous and these things, and and the the pastor was just simply saying this is sadly this is one of the things that the least spoken of in churches, the least spoken of in churches. We talk about all different other kinds of morality, we talked about all the other different kinds of sins. But we don't really get into these internal sins that really plague the house of God and plague the church and self-righteousness. Here's the passage. It's in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We'll pick this up in verse 9 through 14. So Luke 18 is the Pharisee and the publican. Sorry, it's not up, up there. And he says, And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and one who humbles himself shall be exalted. We just, by the way, uh, our pastoral staff, our pastors here in Hong Kong, we actually just submitted this uh, sermon. Uh, uh, There's a Lent devotional that are happening citywide, actually worldwide, uh, this year. And they they asked me to, to, uh, to write a sermon and so I did it with, with our other pastors. Uh, and so, so, th- th- so all to say, this is very fresh. I, I just submitted it yesterday uh, uh, to uh, the organization. And so we, we have this, this situation. Think about this. Two men went to the same place at the same time for the same purpose, to pray. And yet, one person simply, God heard their prayers, and he says he went home just, and the other one didn't. How does that work? Same time, same place, same purpose, to pray, to seek God's face. And one happened, why? Because one was operating completely in self-righteousness. And this is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness happens when we focus on our personal commitment instead of on a person. We focus on our activities instead of the person that, that, we're, that, that we're supposed to focus on. You focus on external obedience rather than the condition of the heart. Jesus rails against this. We read this in, in earlier in Matthew 23. He rails against this idea. Right? You focus on your external obedience. You put confidence in the rules, confidence in religious activity, instead of confidence in a person. When we do that, we cut ourselves off from God. 
It, it works like this. Brothers and sisters, don't put your confidence in fasting. Don't put your confidence in your prayer life. Put your confidence in the one we're praying and fasting to. Don't put your confidence in your ability to interpret scripture. Brother, listen, I see so much pride in the worldwide church as it relates to the Bible. I see it because I see it in myself as well. I see so much pride. You know, you have some truth or you receive some truth, and we become, as Bible teachers sometimes, so arrogant uh, before the Lord and before people. Oh, I have the right theology. Oh, I believe. And it's, it's just crazy how we think about this. And we, like I said, we feel so good about that. And yet we look down on all other people that have, may have a different orientation or different theology than we do or different ideas about the Spirit or all other things than we do. It's dangerous. It's spiritual pride. It's self-righteousness. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's all these things that run together. Right? Don't put your confidence in your ability to interpret the Scripture. Right? Put your confidence in the one who wrote it and the one that could open your eyes and close your eyes. Put your confidence in Him. See, our self-righteousness wants us to put our confidence in our activities. Wants to put our confidence in our fasting. Right? I mean, you know, how many of you have, have, have walked around in this city, you know? And, and, and people said, oh, wow, you're from SP? Oh, man, you guys, you guys fast every year? And all of a sudden, you start getting prideful of that. And, and next thing you know, that, that this activity becomes the center of this whole thing, right? Or they may think, you're from SP, you're a bit crazy, right? That could be the other side too, right? You fast, are you crazy or something and stuff? And, you know, I mean, that's, that, one, that one's okay uh, when that happens. Um, but I tell you, this, don't put your confidence in these things. Put your confidence in the one that we gear these things for. See, self-righteousness, what it does it causes us to focus in our commitment, in our external obedience, and in ourselves. Instead of putting our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's dangerous when it happens. You know, primarily Jesus just rails against the religious leaders. Because that's precisely what they do. It's something that's there. The last one, number four, and... I'm just going to close with this. What's, what is the strategy? It's the culture of convenience. It's the culture of convenience. Brothers and sisters, COVID. During this season of COVID, the, the, the enemy has lulled the church to a sleep. Has lulled to a church in such a way that simply things that were normal commitments that we had before now become secondary, third, right? And convenience now becomes our God. It's true. Listen, every, every Sunday morning, right, when you wake up, you're battling this culture of convenience. It is much more convenient right now to be lying in bed watching this service right now. Hello, good morning, right? <laughs> it's true. It is. It's much more convenient to do that. But guess what? You just wrap yourself up in this culture of this time. Remember, Os Guinness, I shared this quote a few weeks ago. This, this, I mean, he, he basically put language to something I was feeling in my spirit. You know, and Os, he said this. He says, online services during COVID introduced a casualness to our faith. He saw that as a huge detriment. And, and, and listen, listen, right? On, like online, all this stuff is, is fantastic. During COVID, it was very, very helpful, right? Some of you that, that are sick, you know, like, like I was, you know, I was in the hospital uh, because of my gallbladder surgery. I, I was thanking God for online service while I'm in the hospital bed you know, I can listen and, and still be, you know, kind of be a part of the service. And, and that's great. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's all kinds of reasons, right? I mean, there are. There are all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we're traveling. You know, I like to dial in, you know, when I'm overseas. Uh, uh, there's, there's all these things. But if you don't have any of those reasons, right, and it's just become a convenience for you, listen, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong. You've introduced this casualness to our faith. And, and, and they're just, there's just the, the enemy just lulling us into sleep. Let me, th- this is a, a, a primary teaching, uh, and I just want to, I'm going to repeat this. See, there's a difference between the Christian faith and the Christian life. The Christian faith is personal. The Christian faith is you and God, no one else. Okay, you've heard this phrase, God doesn't have any grandchildren. It's true. There's, there's no one else. It's a personal, it's just you and God. But we don't live the Christian faith. We live the Christian life. The Christian life is me, right, is me, God, and everybody else. That's the Christian life. That's all the one another's all throughout the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. It's all the one another's. And, 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 and we, we live, right, the Christian life. Christian faith is personal. It's me and God. The Christian life is communal. It's the community that's all being together in this place. There's, some, there's something so dynamic. There's something so powerful. There, there's a, a, a giving and a taking. There's something that happens when we're gathered together. I remember years ago, I was, I was uh, at, my uni- at my university when I was the campus pastor, and, and, and Dr. Tony Campolo came to speak uh, at our school for the, uh, um, the, the Christian Society of, of uh, for the, the, the Association of, of Christians in Sociology, something like that. And so there's all the sociologists, because, you know, Campolo was, uh, some of you guys probably don't even know who Tony Campolo is, but he's, he's, he's one, of the, the, one of the best speakers I've ever heard before. And, and Tony Campolo... He was a sociology professor at at um, uh, University of Pennsylvania, and then eventually uh, went to uh, uh, Eastern College, which is a Christian school. And so uh, uh, that's his whole world. And he's just speaking to this group of psych- uh, sociologists, and and because you know. I was a campus pastor, so one of my friends was a professor. He invited me to come because he knew I loved Tony Campolo so much. So I, I came to this thing, and, and he was just basically talking about uh, Christian sociological stuff. I didn't really understand most of the things he said because it was a bit over my head because uh, I'm not a sociologist. But one thing he did say that I wish I could remember the term, and he basically talked about the, 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 the incredible uh, sociological dynamic that happens when people gather together. There's something when people physically gather together, there's something that happens to us. There's something, and obviously we know this, something so spiritual that takes place. There's a sharing. Even we did communion, right? Communion, the Lord's Supper. You know what that literally means? It means sharing. It's, 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 it's us sharing each other, sharing the body and the blood of the Lord. There's a sharing that takes place that doesn't really happen when you're online. Right? That's why there's a long, he says, let, let's, he, the Bible tells us, hey, don't forsake the gathering together as the people of God. And so it's important for us to, to, to recognize this. Right? This is, listen, we know this. This is why you don't eat alone. Right? I mean, I know some of you guys like to eat alone. And so that's, that's a different thing for most of us because we don't eat alone. You know, the, 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 the worst thing, the worst thing that you can do to a human being, you know what it is? Put someone in solitary confinement. It is absolutely the worst punishment in the penal system is put someone into solitary confinement. And yet many of us, we're living our spiritual lives in solitary confinement. You know, and, and we just, just call it convenience. It's just more convenient to do that. And the enemy is lulling us into a sleep. He's lulling us into something that's here. It's, it's, it's important. Let me, let me give you a scripture. John chapter 11. This is the opposite of the culture of convenience. John chapter 11, verse 33 Jesus, his good friend Lazarus, dies. So Jesus waits. He gets to the place. He sees Mary and Martha, and then he makes this statement. This is verse 33. 
And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. If you look on here, this is what we call, just, just look in the sentence structure, this is third person singular. In other words, what he was simply, the better translation is, he was deeply moved in spirit and he troubled himself. He troubled himself. Thank God Jesus troubled himself. It would have been much more convenient to just go to the funeral. Just go to the funeral, give your flowers, right? Have your lunch, go home. But he didn't do that. He troubled himself. He, the, the, the scripture actually says he started wailing. He, I mean, just, just wailing before the Lord. And a lot of scholars, what, what they're, when they're trying to depict this situation, what they're saying is that the Lord Jesus had to rile himself up. Uh, he, 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 had, he had to, the, the word actually translated as stir himself up. And so, so the Lord Jesus, he's looking at this grave. He's looking at the situation. And, and, and he's, he's in this place, and he had to stir himself up. He had to trouble himself. He had to, to agitate himself. And a lot of the scholars, the way they try to explain this is because what, what he's really doing is he's not just raising Lazarus from the dead. But he's confronting the enemy that will soon put him in a grave. And so even some scholars, you know, begin to talk about all the stuff that was going on inside of him. He's, he's about to face death that he knows he's going to face for himself pretty soon. And so he's in this place and, and, and he comes and he says and he starts stirring him. He starts agitating himself. He starts troubling himself in this state. And then he turns and says, Lazarus, come forth. And a miracle begins to take place. Brothers and sisters, if we want to see miracles take place, if we want to see people healed, and we want to see people get saved, it's not going to happen while we sit in the place of convenience. It's, it's, it's this, uh, this incredible modern pursuit uh, towards ease and instant gratification. We can't stand in that place. We as a people of God, we have to trouble ourselves. Trouble ourselves to get out of bed. Trouble ourselves, you know, in, in, in all sorts of uh, uh, different things. To wake up early in the morning. Every day we need to trouble ourselves to get into a place to engage and to fight it's important that we understand this, right? It's important, right? It's, it's, it'd be so much more convenient to do other things, Lord. But he troubled himself. I hope that you would trouble yourself, right? I mean, just even, you know, during this season, you know, we have two more weeks left. I hope that you would trouble yourself to wake up a little bit earlier and just to come out. Right? And travel. I know it's not convenient. Some of you guys are coming from a far place. It's not convenient. But you know, every time you do that, you just sock the enemy in his face that wants to wrap you in that place of convenience. That's not how the kingdom of God grows. That's not how the kingdom of God, right, advances. Right? It's taken by men of deadly force. It's, it's, it's important that we understand this. Right? This is why we're gathering in the mornings to pray. Right? We're troubling ourselves for one another. It, it's important. I, I know some of you guys can't make it. You know, so I'm, I'm not, you know, we're not taking attendance at any of these things. There's no spiritual merit badge because we don't want you to get self-righteous you know, and prideful and all that kind of stuff. And so, but, man, I'm telling you, right? this is the season and hour for us you know, to step into something. And, and many of us, for whatever reason, we have our foot off the pedal. And we need to be flooring it at this stage. See, these strategies, they're so subtle. They're so deceptive. Right? That's why we must be vigilant. We must be vigilant. See, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, the world, the Christian world that we live in, think about this. A Christian leader, uh, uh, right, a leader in this world 
can write a best-selling book on grace and display none of it in their life. And he'll make a million bucks selling this book. We see it happening all around us. You know, young, young, single Christians will read a book on Christian dating and after reading the book, violate everything it says. That's the world that we live in. And we just think that's okay. It's not okay. It was never okay. You know, God could be just blessing someone's socks off, man. I mean, just radically blessing someone. And then we can't rejoice. And instead, we say, what about me? How about how come I'm not getting blessed? That's a problem. That's a big, big problem. Right? Or we get offended by someone's spirituality. You know, and we start making fun of them. Right? That's a problem. I used to, I'll be honest, I used to do this. You know, when I was a younger Christian, and, you know, like I said, I used to, you know, one of my friends now, uh, now my friends, but, you know, I came to chapel, and I had this one dude, man, every single week, he'd just be dancing before the Lord. And I would just sit and make fun of him. You know, I was sitting back with all the other basketball players, and we just like, <laughs> we make fun of someone's spirituality. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. But we do that all the time. Right? We do it in so many other ways, so many subtle ways. Right? Listen, we do not, right? our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. There, there are, are schemes and strategies. There's traps. There's Holes, there's areas that the enemy wants us to sink into that neutralizes our effectiveness. The enemy, I would say in the church, in these days, I'm talking about global church, during, during the season of COVID in many, in many ways, it's not a blanket statement, but I, you know, just an observation, not just myself, but a lot of leaders all over the world that has lulled the church into a sleep during this time. He's lulled us into a dead religion. Brothers and sisters, you must guard your hearts. We must guard our hearts. Our hearts are the most precious thing that we can offer the Lord. We must guard ourselves. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Let me finish with this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The NIV says, above everything, above everything, guard your heart. Your heart is precious. Don't let it get stained by dead religion, by self-righteousness, by hypocrisy. Don't give in to the culture of convenience that's around us. That is just overwhelming the church. You know, I know I just talked about one small aspect of it, just simply coming to church. But it's amazing. I talk to people. So how come you're not coming to church? Oh, yeah, the whole COVID thing. So are you going to work? Yeah, I'm going to work. You, you, are you eating out with friends? Oh, yeah, I'm eating out with friends. Going to banquets? Yeah, I'm going to banquets. What? Huh? They just totally got lulled into this sleep. It's a problem. It's a problem. God wants to take us out of that place. He wants to bring us into the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. Okay, listen. Don't misunderstand me, okay? Because I know a lot, there's a lot of times there's a lot of misunderstanding that happens at times. I'm not, this, this, there's value in online service. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand, right? But if you're able-bodied and you're able and capable of, there's no health restrictions or anything that's going on, right? That's who I'm talking to, right? That's who I'm talking to. Right, so let's close our eyes.
the Holy Spirit speak to you? Are you seeing some spiritual pride in your life? Are you seeing some hypocrisy? Are you seeing some self-righteousness? Maybe you've wrapped arms with the culture of convenience. Ease has become your mantra. Convenience. Like I shared a few weeks ago, the kingdom of God has always been built off the back of sacrifice. How foolish it is for us to think that we could walk in this Christian life without a sacrificial heart. These are subtle ways the enemy can rob us of our passion. I'll tell you the perfect prayer. It's actually in the rest of the Luke passage that are read in 18. And the blind man comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's really the only appropriate prayer that we can have. It's the perfect prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, I'm so easily fooled. I'm so easily deceived. I so easily fall into these traps that rob me, not only of my joy, but my passion for you. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Show me, teach me, and lead me. As the team leads us in a song, let's go before the Lord. How I 
rise to our feet and let's sing this as an anthem. Huh? Let's give God our hearts. Let's cry out to the Lord. I come with my broken song to you, the perfect one, to worship you in spirit and truth. Give me a childlike heart, lead me to where you are. I'm coming back to my first love, only this in a while, can you just grab someone's hand next to you? And you can wash your hands afterwards, it's okay. They're clean. We can go across the aisle. Let's pray for one another, huh? Let's pray for this body. Let's pray for the person on the left and right of you. And say, Lord, give them an undivided heart. Or let them have a passion for the Son of God. Fill their life with a passion for the Son of God. Lead them away from the traps of the enemy, from the devices and schemes, and give them an unadulterated passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Let's do that. Let's just lift each other up right now. Let's pray. Thank you.
Let's pray together. Father, would you release in our hearts in this life, God, a passion for the Son of God. Lord, let your fame, your renown, God, be the deepest desire of our heart. God, that we would know you, Lord. We would be like you, and we would make you known. Lord, release a passion for the Son of God in our hearts, Lord. Guard our hearts. Protect. Help us to be vigilant to protect the treasure that's within us, God. The enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy. But, Lord, you want to give us life and abundantly, Lord. God, help us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Thank you, God. We lift up, God, our people, especially in this season of sacrifice, Lord, as we fast to seek your face, as we trouble ourselves, God, for others, for our families, God, for this city, for the world around us, Lord. Help us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Bring us back to that first love, Lord. We bless you, God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank the person next to you. Thanks for praying for me. Can I invite you? Can you pray for that person this whole week this week? Whoever you're with, there's two people. Can you pray for them this whole week? We'll see you tomorrow morning at EMP. Let's continue to trouble ourselves for the Lord. God bless you. If you need any prayer, come up to the front. Our well ministers gladly pray for you.